You're listening to KBOO Portland. Remember the days of wandering the pumpkin patches in search of just the right one to bring home? Not too big, not too small, but with a little bit of personality? Well, the days of mucking through the chilled autumn air are over. Now you can grab a Kebu pumpkin crew neck or long sleeve that fits just right and keeps your elbows protected from the elements. Pick up an organic, homegrown, community-sourced piece of merch in gray, green, navy, or maroon and rock this autumn in style. Just check out the sidebar on our website at kboo.fm to harvest your Kebu pumpkin apparel today. What is climate change? How is it affecting our lives? And what can we do about it? We'll connect the dots from energy to extreme weather, public health, and more. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizerowitz. Join me for Climate Connections during the evening news. Weekdays at 5 p.m. here on 90.7 KBOO Portland. Hey, yo, this is Clipping. You're listening to KBOO. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world Good evening and welcome to Transpositive. Tonight we'll be talking about the Transgender Day of Remembrance with some interfaith speakers uh, that will be speaking at our T-Door Vigil later this month. Uh, I am Nicolette and I use AM, they, them, and Fayfair pronouns. And my name is Emma. Um, I use she and her pronouns. And uh, Nicolette and I are going to be going uh around the room and asking each of our guests to introduce themselves, uh, give us their pronouns, the, uh, their cultural, faith, or religious tradition, and talk a little bit about why they're here. And uh, we're going to give each one of our guests like one or two minutes for an intro. So I'll start with um, Cassidy Brown. Cassidy, welcome to the T-Door show. Hi, Gemma. It's good to be back with you. Um, so my pronouns are per, per, pers, or they, them, theirs, and I represent the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft. Thank you. <clears throat> and I'd also like to ask uh, Julian, who is going to be our keynote speaker, uh, to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Julian Jamaica Soto, and I am a Unitarian Universalist. Amber, would you like to introduce yourself? I am Ember, I use they, them pronouns, and I am a Unitarian Universalist. Great, thank you. And Ethan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Ethan Gregory. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. I'm the associate pastor at the First United Methodist Church here in Portland. Uh, we are happy to host this year's uh, T-Door Vigil on November 19th. Um, our choir uh, will sing, uh, and uh, myself and our senior pastor, uh, Reverend Karen richards Kwan, uh look forward to participating in the service with all of you. Thank you. We're also here tonight with... Uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Knudsen, um, would you please introduce yourself, Reverend? Yes, Mark Knudsen, pastor Augustana Lutheran Church in Portland, Oregon, um, former chief petitioner for the Freedom to Marry with Basic Rights Oregon back in the early 2010s. Um, very diverse, large, inclusive church where this is a natural, this is who we are. I go by he, him, pronounced. Thank you. And we're also joined by Sheila Mangert. Sheila, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Sheila, and I go by she and her pronouns. And I am not speaking for the Catholic Church because I'm not a priest or a minister, but I come from the Catholic faith tradition. Michaela, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, 
I'm Michaela McCormick. I'm a uh, practicing Buddhist student and teacher. My pronouns are she and her. Thank you. And Steve, could you introduce yourself, please? Certainly. My name is Steve Cromer. I'm a member of the Portland First United Methodist Church and uh, one of the organizers of this event. Reverend Allison, would you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Reverend Allison Miller, uh, she, her pronouns. I am the senior minister at First Unitarian Portland uh, downtown and glad to be here with all of you. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us tonight here on Trans Positive. Um, we have a full house, which is really great. Um, um, so I think that, um, you know, I think that what we'd like to really do just like right away, right off the bat, is just get to a discussion of your faith, religious or cultural tradition, and how your tradition uplifts the dignity and the inherent beauty of transgender lives. Um, so many transgender people have been hurt by religion. They've, they've been fleeing from states in the South where religion has been used as a cudgel against them. Um, you know, so many people have felt suicidal, have felt depressed, have felt like life isn't worth living, haven't had the courage to transition or to, you know, come to terms with their identity. They've lost their connections with their family. And so much of it is over religion. And it's hard to come away from that space where religion has done so much damage into a space where religion actually supports and uplifts and you know says that transgender people non-binary people they matter their lives are beautiful they're dignified and i just like to ask each of you if you could address how your faith religious or cultural tradition addresses that issue i can begin uh i'm michaela mccormick i'm a uh, practicing buddhist student and teacher my pronouns are she and her um my uh, Buddhist tradition is one um, that um, is founded on the ubiquity of suffering as well as the inherent dignity of each and every one of us. And I think those two things are um, completely relevant to uh, this day of remembrance of transgender uh, people. Um, like many wisdom traditions, Buddhism is uh, shot through with paradox. One of those paradoxes is the uh, interdependence of uh, self-acceptance and non-attachment. Uh, you know, part of what we all face in life is getting to our true selves or what Buddhists often refer to as our authentic selves. And yet we have to do that at the same time that we're constantly trying to let go of ego or any kind of arrogance. In other words, we need to come to our authentic selves without being attached to any kind of reward or recognition uh, as in terms of who we are. And uh, those are challenges that uh, transgender people and in my own experience certainly face. Yeah, so I, uh, again, this is Ethan uh, at First United Methodist uh, here in Portland. Uh, I'm a part of the United Methodist Church, which is a part of the Christian tr tradition. Uh, my church is a church uh, that exists all over uh, the world. Um, and in a general sense, uh, one of the, the things that we believe as United Methodist Christians uh, is in God's grace and in God's presence, who is with us always. Um, we believe uh, in what we call uh, provenient grace, uh, which means that God is at work loving us uh, even before we're aware of who God is or uh, where God is at work in our lives. 
Um, but in a more specific uh, way here at First Church in Portland, uh, we have been what we call a reconciling congregation for 30 years now. Um, we celebrated this uh, on Pride Sunday uh, in July. Uh, it was uh, my privilege to get to preach uh, that weekend. And I remember uh, the week before going down into our church archives and uh, finding the um, the newsletter article uh, from uh, March of 1993, uh, when that vote uh, had been taken here at our church in Portland, there was an entire study committee uh, that had been at work for two years prior, um, and uh, something like three to 400 people gathered in our fellowship hall uh, on March 16th, 1993, to uh, declare that uh, that they wanted to be in ministry with people uh, of all uh, sexual orientations. Uh, and so for the last uh, three decades, uh, as we know, um, the ministry with uh, LGBTQ people uh, contains uh, persons of, of all genders, all sexual orientations. And so uh, this work has just slowly evolved to be uh, just a natural affirmation. And so for us, it's easy to say, uh, of course, we're going to love queer people. Of course, we're going to love trans people. And so uh, affirming uh, our trans and queer siblings and friends and neighbors is is a part of who we are here at First Church. We do this uh, every Sunday uh, in our congregation and in uh, the ministries and uh, work that we do here in the city of Portland. Hi, my name is Julian Jamaica Soto, and I am a Unitarian Universalist. Uh, I'm really grateful that I have a few Unitarian Universalist colleagues here today, people who participate with me in my tradition, and we've heard a little bit about what's possible. One of the things that's strongly held in our tradition is that each person has inherent worth and dignity. So for us, that means you don't have to do or fix or change anything about yourself to belong and be beloved in our communities. And to practice that is a little more complicated than just saying. But one thing I appreciate about our tradition is that we continue to work on what that looks like and feels like for each community and each person. My mom is not a Unitarian Universalist, but I'm going to tell you a quick story because it has that spirit. She I was telling her, my friend will be here soon. And I used their pronoun they. And she said, "They, who's they? They is more than one person. I said, no, mom, since the time of Shakespeare, they could mean one person. And she said, oh, sometimes I speak from my ignorance and I have to learn. And I said, no problem. And what we hope is that as we come together to think and talk about the very most important things, we'll continue to learn, learn together and grow together. My name is Sheila, and I go by she and her pronouns, and I am not speaking for the Catholic Church because I'm not a priest or a minister, but I come from the Catholic faith tradition. So anything I say is my take on things. Um, the thing that I'd like to emphasize is that whenever we're talking some sort of appeal to religion or to psychology or to social science or to anything else, we're looking for a principle to legitimate transsexual or transgender existence. And that search for a criterion is what's involved. If we were living in a completely open world, people's testimony would be adequate because it would simply say, this is who I am or how I feel and this is how I behave. But because gender variance is still seen as problematic in our society, we have a, a great difficulty assimilating trans people, and therefore trans people are always looking for allies. And at this particular muddying of the waters of what the parameters of transgender is are, and also uh, whether that's even acceptable, that's what we're up against. Um, in terms of my own tradition, uh, the Catholic Church tries to maintain a dignity of the individual and opposing any uh, overt oppression or, or violence towards us, but simultaneously 
at least at the present time, it does not recognize transgender existence as a valid way of living out our lives in the world. It sees natural law as being indicative of the will of God and therefore sexual divergence in terms of chromosomes and in terms of phenotypical behavior as of how we appear as being indicative of what the will of God is for us and therefore um, transgender people have not necessarily been felt an overwhelming sense of welcome in the Catholic Church. Uh, I will say, though, that in the, at the present historical moment, the, there's a synod on synodality, which is a three-year process of the Roman Church asking if we do sufficient listening to our members as being indicative of what the will of God is for us collectively, and there is some hope that things might loosen up. This is creating a great backswell of resistance among extremely conservative Catholics who think, no, the truth of God has already been said once and for all, and there's nothing more to be added to or subtracted from. But the mere fact that the Pope has mandated that we have this wonderful synod and that it's more inclusive than it has ever been before are grounds for great hope right now, but the process will not complete be completed until next year of October. Cassidy Brown. So my pronouns are per, per, pers, or they, them, theirs, and I represent the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft. We're fortunate to have quite a large contingent of um, queer, trans, and non-binary folks in the reclaiming tradition, which is a small but growing global modern pagan religion. And um, we also have quite a few trans and non-binary people in leadership as well, which is also really great, um, including myself. And um, as so as a reclaiming tradition, we've always had a, a really strong background in feminism and activism in combining spirituality with political action in a very progressive way. But that doesn't automatically necessarily mean that trans people are welcome. So we've had to be intentional about that. Um, So for example, we have one document that is our um, sort of unifying document. It's called the Principles of Unity. And that was changed in 2012 to specifically name that the reclaiming tradition welcomes people of all genders and people of all gender histories. And it also specifically names that we honor and celebrate deities of all genders um, and mysterious ones that go beyond gender. Um, So that was important to put that in our, our one document that we share together but then just saying it doesn't necessarily make it so. So we're now also working on a um, principles of accountability so that if folks feel like they are being excluded or that there's some harm that's happened, whether that's based on um, gender or based on race or even just something completely separate, that folks have some guidelines and some processes that they could turn to. Um, in order to learn and uh, make sure our communities really stand behind that document. Um, but overall, I think that in the in the religious landscape, uh, pagan groups tend to often be more welcoming of queer and trans people. And that's certainly been the case of reclaiming in Portland. Uh, and I feel very fortunate that um, that we do have so many trans people in leadership in our community. Uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Knudsen, you were involved in um, helping to make uh, gay marriage legal here in Oregon. Um, Can you talk about how your tradition supports and upholds the dignity of transgender non-binary people? Mm, Certainly, and it's an honor to be on this call with all of you. I'm humbled by it. Some new friends to make as well, I can see. The, um, you know, for us, it often, we always always say your faith, family's a place that shapes that, and I was fortunate to have a family that was activists, but also saying we had to be as inclusive and welcoming as possible. So that's kind of my foundational piece. Growing up in the church, the Lutheran church, you know, like any of our denominations, had to make a journey. Uh, we always said everybody's welcome and included, but in terms of practice, that was not always the case. Um, so we 
did national work in the 80s for the Lutheran Church, and we did work with the young leaders who were able to come out and be welcome and, and help change the way things were. So marriage was seen as yes for all of us. Um, you know, our heroes, a lot of many of them are various traditions, and the interfaith work we do is so important in talking about a welcoming and affirming society. Um, and so when you walk into our, you know, our church, well, I guess our listeners know their scriptures, many of them, and they know Genesis 127 from the Hebrew scriptures. We're all created in the image of God. And I, say, I always say, God is fascinating. What a gift of the human family God has created, and we're all part of that. And the revelations for All Saints Sunday coming up, every tribe, nation, tongue gathered together, those are inclusive pictures of who we are and who we're called to be. And so for us, it's living into what we are called to be, and that means really welcoming every, every, each other. And so you walk into our church on a Sunday, and you will say, Welcome to Augustana, we're a thriving multicultural, multinational, multigenerational congregation of justice seekers and peacemakers. We're a sanctuary church, which means everyone is welcomed for who you were created to be. That's your age, your ethnicity, your non-binary status, your sexual orientation. You know, However you identify yourself, transgender or queer, that is who you are, and that's pure gift. And that comes out of studying scripture of a church that's evolved over time. And I'd hate to be a pastor who decided who was in and who's out. I love a tradition that everybody's part of this, and it's gift to all of us to be together in this human family. But there's been too much pain. And so the church cannot just stand by when people are being discriminated against or killed uh, for whatever reason, especially their sexual orientation, their identity, being trans. Um, and, and so you cannot be quiet. So when I go to marches, I wear my collar or stoles, not because I need to show I'm a clergy. I show because some people know the faith communities are present in solidarity because it's not you and I, it's us. We've had many members, and I'd love to create a safe space. We're a sanctuary church, right? So refugees, others, but you know, you have to create it for everybody. So we've had many young people come to be who they are, uh, whether gay or lesbian or trans, um, in the context of their faith. And they said it's safer for them to come out in their faith community than their high school. And, and wow, can't we do that constantly? And, and so I'm, I'm going too long. I'm not going to preach. I'll stop now. But uh, I'm passionate about this because uh, one of our members is on the New York Times because she challenged the college she was at to get male dormitories because she was a trans male and they would not give it to her. So no. Um, Reverend Allison Miller, um, last year your your um, congregation hosted TDOR. Thank you so much for doing that, um, the, uh, the Interfaith Vigil. Um, could you talk about how your tradition uh, upholds and affirms the dignity of transgender non-binary people? It was an honor to host uh, last year and, and to be able to support this year. Um, Love is at the center of Unitarian Universalism. And for us specifically, it's about a commitment to a liberating love and a steadfast belief in the worth and dignity of trans and non-binary children, youth, and adults. And we, for a long time, have been engaged in the work of um, really talking about the importance of everybody being sacred and the choices that we make about our own bodies. And right now, what's really on my heart and mind is that on Sunday mornings, especially right now, we're noticing with our visitors that we have a lot of families coming, especially with trans or non-binary youth that are leaving other home states because politicians are um, really using using the bodies, hearts, and minds of trans and non-binary uh, folks for political gain, and the worst, doing it in the name of religion. And so for us to put our faith in action is both to be engaged uh, and supporting people on the front lines and states um, and towns and cities across the country where um, healthcare is being taken away from our children, youth, and adults, our trans and non-binary children, youth, and adults, and to do what we can um, to change that. But here in the city of Portland, part of our role is to be a spiritual home. And this is about Unitarian Universalism, but it's about a lot of us on this uh, Zoom call right now, um, being a spiritual home where uh, families know that 
they are welcome to be fully who they are and who they are becoming in our sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And that is um, more the pastoral care side of things. So both both being engaged um, in terms of activism and public witness and uh, public policy and litigation, any way that we can to really reclaim the dignity of um, trans and non-binary folks in our community. But as a pastor, my heart is really captivated by the families moving to our city, um, seeking sanctuary and the role we play um, there. So. Uh, I'm Nicolette, and I use AM, they, them, and Faye Fair pronouns. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm still just a student in a coven. I'm not like a faith leader or anything, and I'm still learning. But I have found in my studies, especially, you know, right now I'm mainly studying uh, the Norse pagan religion and Sumerian mythology, and I'm finding a lot of stories about people changing gender, men giving birth, people who are neither male or female, and I think that this means that, you know, a lot of pagan traditions that have been around for thousands and thousands of years have always acknowledged and accepted trans people, non-binary people, queer people, gender non-conforming people, like the, you know, a lot of trans folks will try and tell you that trans identities and non-binary identities are a brand new thing, but these pagan mythology stories from that are you know, from thousands of years ago, these point to the existence of trans and non-binary people for that long. Um, and I think more importantly, you know, a, a lot of pagans, even if they're not ne necessarily Wiccan, they will abide by the Wiccan read, do it ye will and harm none, which means that as long as you're not hurting anyone, you can live your life however you want. And I think that that's why a lot of pagans are so welcoming of trans, non-binary, and queer people is because, you know, you're not harming anyone by being trans. You're not harming anyone by being non-binary. You're not harming anyone by being queer. So who cares what you want to do with your life? You're not harming anyone. And that's what really matters. It's about living as your true, authentic self and what makes you feel free. Um, Steve, you're church is hosting the vigil this year can you tell us can you tell us a little bit about your tradition and maybe also give us a little history of the event absolutely well let's go to your last question first um I was just thinking about that today and I remember the uh outdoor ceremony we had at the park I remember going and renting a uh, generator so we could have a microphone for people to speak and i just it just made me think of how far how far we've come and yet how much more work remains to be done ethan spoke eloquently about our church tradition um and really nothing more needs to be said my wife and i when we moved to portland we knew that we wanted to be part of a congregation that welcomed everybody and made a concerted effort to let everyone know that everyone was welcome to participate in the entire full life of the church. As a 70-year-old straight, white, cis male, I think it's important um, that I plant my flag um, in the uh, tradition of accepting everyone and to stand up and I believe people in my congregation know uh, through the volunteer work I do that that's who I am and I think it's important to keep being that person um, to make sure that everybody feels welcome and to let all of us know as a society that there's work left to be done as long as uh, people are being persecuted, like Reverend Allison said. So many places, uh, the politicians are in particular for for a quick gain or a, a, you know a, a quick victory or to score quick points are really really threatening the lives of our uh, queer and trans siblings and. I want ever. I, I want to be among those 
who stand firmly against that. And my name is Emma. Um, I use she and her pronouns, but I'm also here as representing a congregation, Shir Tikva, and we're a Jewish organization. And um, I can tell you that the Jewish tradition in so many ways upholds the dignity of transgender people, um, whether it's commentary in the Talmud, which is fundamentally queer, no matter how you look at the commentary. There's so many places in the Talmud where queer bodies, where transgender bodies, where non-binary bodies are fundamentally acknowledged. The rabbis have long, lengthy debates about uh, what you know, what is halakhically acceptable in this context and in that context. Or if you're looking at the Torah and places in the Torah where there's clearly very queer characters, such as Joseph, who is someone that I think many of us in the Jewish community acknowledge and look to as an archetypical queer character. Uh, there are so many places in Torah where queer identity is validated, it's acknowledged, it's upheld, and it's a tradition that goes way, way back. There's always been queer Jews, and there hasn't, it's not just that there's always been queer Jews. We have documents, we have records, we have stories. We even have Midrash going back to when the Torah was written, which fundamentally looks at, I mean, we look at each person as a unique expression of that light that is in all living things, uh, in all people. And so I'm very proud to be part of a community that has hosted this event twice and is deeply involved in uh, many intersecting areas of work to uh, further the dignity and the human rights of transgender and non-binary people. And I'll be very happy to be participating in this. All right, well, we've been joined today by Michaela McCormick, Dr. Reverend Mark Knudsen, Steve Cromer, uh, Cassidy Brown, Ember Morgan Wigmore, Reverend Ethan Gregory, Julian Hamaika Soto. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, uh, Nicolette Schweitzer, and Reverend Allison Miller. Thank you all so much for joining us on Transpositive. So, um, Ember, I haven't had a chance to ask you the question because you're our name reader, but I'd like to first ask you: How does your tradition uphold the fundamental dignity and worth of all transgender people? Yeah, thank you, Emma. I am Ember. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I am currently an aspirant towards the Unitarian ministry. Uh, I am attending seminary. And I was thinking today about how not only is this my seventh year of creating this list, but creating this list was a major catalyst for me going back to my Unitarian roots, which would inevitably leave, lead me to um, towards seminary and, and my call. Um, being raised UU has really given me an amazing diverse skill set that I can view the world with while also creating these internal paradoxes in myself where there were things that were okay in my church and there were things that were okay in my home that were not okay with my peers and that were not okay with adults who were not part of progressive faith traditions. And that was a real struggle for me for a long time. And so I will also say that and I, I hate to word it this way, but I will never be happy to be here. I will never be happy to make this list. Um, this list is centered in love, but it's a hard list to keep centered in love because we are living in such a scary and difficult time. Um, this year was particularly difficult and there are a lot of factors for that. There were a lot of mass shootings this year and we can't get all of those names because this year I also learned that those names are often kept confidential because of the political climate around being the victim of a mass shooting. So we know that our numbers are incomplete because we couldn't get all of those numbers. Uh, certain states have now passed laws where we actually are having to kind of smuggle names out because it is illegal to properly gender these people in the media. This year, the list contains cis people 
for the first time because it turns out that when we live in a climate like this, being cis will not protect you. Being, being not queer will not protect you. And this is a fight for all of us. This, the, the reason that we're gathered here today and the reason that we're going to be gathering at the uh, First United Methodist Church on November 19th. Um, in 1999, a small group of people, including Gwendolyn Ann Smith, Nancy Nangeroni, and Jahara De Alto, um, wanted to organize a vigil uh, to memorialize the murder of a black transgender woman named Rita Hester, who was murdered in Alliston, Massachusetts. And also to memorialize Chanel Pickett, who was also murdered in Waterton, Massachusetts. Um, since that time, Transgender Day of Remembrance has grown into a movement which really commemorates the lives of transgender people who have been murdered in the last year. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing uh, as an interfaith community on November 19th at First United Methodist Church. Um, I'm So now we will be reading the names of uh, people who were killed by anti-transgender violence within the past year. Amber, will you go ahead and start? Yes, thank you so much. This list is compiled all year using live feeds, newspapers from around the country, and multiple blogs that do this work. Um, and I would just like to thank all of the people who help to gather these names, all of the people who have essentially smuggled these names out of places that they couldn't get out of, um, and to everyone who is here holding this space. Miles Fitzpatrick, age 17, died November 7th, 2022 in Manville, New Jersey. Miles died by suicide after enduring bullying and harassment at school. His family had filed lawsuits against his school for their lack of response. He is remembered as being sensitive and loving with a supportive family and loving community. Adeline Anderson, age 24, died November 15th, 2022 in Oklahoma City. Adeline died by suicide after expressing concerns about laws being passed in her home state. While Adeline had struggled with homelessness throughout her life, at the time of her death, she had a job she enjoyed and stable housing. Her chosen family remember her as fun-loving, compassionate, and fiercely protective of those she loved. Kelly Loving, age 40, died November 19, 2022 in Colorado Springs. Kelly was shot and killed in the Club Q shooting. Kelly has been described as a loving community leader who not only wanted her friends to shine, but also helped them shine, and as a maternal figure for many of her young mentees. It is believed that Kelly saved at least one life during the shooting. Daniel Davis Aston, age 28, died November 19th, 2022 in Colorado Springs. Daniel was shot and killed during the Club Q shooting. Daniel started transitioning in high school and had been working as a bartender and performer at Club Q for two years prior to the shooting. Daniel is remembered by friends and family as a warm like that loved performing, a community leader, and as a self-proclaimed master of silliness. Raymond Green Vance, age 22, died November 19th, 2022 in Colorado Springs. Raymond, Raymond was a cisgendered queer ally who was attending Club Q for the first time with his girlfriend and her family. Raymond's tight-knit family described him as popular, well-liked, and excited to begin his journey of adulthood. Derek Grump, age 38, died November 19th, 2022 in Colorado Springs. Derek was a cisgendered gay man who had worked at Club Q for three years and was described by friends as the star bartender. He has been described as a hard worker with a keen skill for diffusing situations who demonstrated great kindness in his work. Ashley Powell, age 35, died November 19th, 2022 in Colorado Springs. Ashley was a loving mother and wife and LGBT plus ally visiting Colorado Springs for a weekend trip with a friend. 
Ashley has been described as bright and bubbly and leaves behind an 11-year-old daughter. Diamond Jackson McDonald, age 27, died November 24th, 2022 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Diamond was found shot to death in her mother's apartment on the morning of November 24th. Investigators have said that the door to the apartment was open and media sources say she may have known her killer. She was shot multiple times and was pronounced dead at the scene. De Rodas, age 27, died December 1st, 2022 in Malibu, California. Day was found unresponsive by a passerby on a roadside in Santa Monica. First responders tried to resuscitate her, but she was already deceased. Her death is being investigated as a homicide. Her family describes her as loving and forgiving and are deeply saddened that after 27 years of living in a suppressed life, she only got a few months to live as her authentic self. Morgan D., age 32, died December 4, 2022 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morgan died by suicide after repeatedly expressing concerns about how trans people were being treated by society. Morgan was attending university and her friends describe her as a fiercely committed to her education and to the causes she believed in. Her final blog posts reflect her fears as her state passed increasingly harsh bans. Destiny Howard, age 23, died December 9th, 2022 in Macon, Georgia. Destiny's body was found in a parking lot and was not identified for four days. Destiny had a large family, both birth and chosen, and had a strong interest in fashion. Marquis M.J. Jackson, age 33, died December 14, 2022 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. M.J.'s body was found in a backyard approximately two days after he died from blunt force trauma. News media reported that if he had been found sooner, he likely would have survived his injuries. MJ was described by friends as loving and kind and was a leader in his LGBT community. Henry Berg Broussau, age 24, died December 16th, 2022 in Louisville, Kentucky. Henry died by suicide. His mother, a Kentucky senator, has said that her son was deeply impacted by state level transgender bans and that while his work with human rights campaign was rewarding, it also forced him to face hate on a daily basis. His mother continues to fight for trans rights, establishing a scholarship in his name. Kaylee Love Light, age 27, died December 17, 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona. Kaylee was found dead from gunshot injuries inside a car by police. Kaylee's loved ones report that she was a fierce advocate for queer rights, and despite being alienated from her birth family, had developed a strong familial network across the U.S. Levi Martin, age 17, died December 22, 2022 in Lakeville, Massachusetts. Levi died by suicide following a lifetime of medical complications. While his family was affirming, he spoke often of his fears around medical transition. He signed his suicide note as Levi, which is the number name he is buried under. Jasmine Star Mack, age 36, died January 7th, 2023 in Washington, DC. Jasmine was found dead by police conducting a wellness check. Jasmine had been an active member of her queer community before going missing around Thanksgiving. Casey Johnson, age 27, died in January of 2023 in Wilmington, North Carolina. Casey was found dead in the Savannah River. A man that Casey met online is being held in connection with her death. Casey's partner, also a trans woman, described Casey as her soulmate. Manuel Tortuga Terran, age 26, died January 18th, 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia. Tortuga, a non-binary indigenous Venezuelan and queer organizer, was shot 57 times by police clearing a protest against the Cop City training facility in Atlanta. Tortuga has been described as a trained medic, a loving partner, and a brave soul. Olivia Snow, age 47, died January 19, 2023 in New York City. 
Olivia was a freelance makeup artist and an active member of her Filipino-American community. She was found deceased in a hotel room by staff. And while a cause of death has not been released, her death is being investigated as a homicide. Maria Jose Rivera Rivera, age unknown, died January 21st, 2023 in Houston, Texas. Maria was one of two adults found dead in an apartment complex in an apparent murder-suicide. According to investigators, this was a case of int intimate partner violence, and the case remains open. Maria's fi family described her as warm and kind while facing the struggles of life as a trans immigrant. Unique Banks, age 20, died January 23rd, 2023 in Chicago, Illinois. Unique and her mother were fatally shot during a home invasion in Chicago. Two other trans women and her mother's boyfriend were also critically injured during the shooting. News sources have stated there is no evidence of anti-trans motivation, but police have also stated that the attack was not random. Despite identifying multiple suspects, police have declined to press charges. Ivory Nicole Smith, age 27, died January 24th, 2023 in San Francisco, California. Ivory was found dead in her apartment. She was a well-known black transgender activist and entrepreneur who at the time of her death was working as a supervisor at a trans-specific nonprofit providing healthcare and resources to sex workers. Ivory's death is being reported as suspicious with few updates from law enforcement. Emana Tituaho Zachi, age 26, died February 3rd, 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky. Zachi was shot outside her place of employment by a man who worked for the same company. Coworkers and friends have described Zachi as friendly, always happy, and a joy to be around. Zachi was born in Rwanda before immigrating to the U.S. Cache Henderson, age 31, died February 25th, 2023 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Cache's body was found in an apartment by firefighters investigating a fire. Cache has been described as kind and loving and her family has established ties with local LGBT plus nonprofits to help push for legislative changes. Caitlin Eowyn Earhart, or Kate, age 19, died March 1st, 2023 in St. Louis, Missouri. Kate died by suicide following family rejection. Her roommate has said that she was a kind and loving soul who struggled with acceptance throughout her life. Kaylee Scott, age 25, died March 20th, 2023 in Denver, Colorado. Kaylee died by suicide. She worked as a flight attendant and shared her coming out journey via her airline's social media, which gained her a sizable internet following. Despite the positive message that she shared regarding her transition, her offline life was suffering in ways that her followers could not see. Her family remembers her as a loving light who wanted the best for others. Tasia Woodland, or Sia, age 18, died March 24th, 2023, in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Tasia was shot and killed outside of a bar 200 miles from her home. Law enforcement has been quick to reach out to LGBT plus community outlets while declining to prosecute Tasia's murder as a hate crime. Tasia is remembered as a vibrant, high energy and typical teenager who was interested in food and fashion. Mo Moore, age 18, died April 14th, 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky. Mo's body was found in the Ohio River. A cause of death has not been released, although the death, death is being investigated as a homicide. At the time of his death, Mo was working in a restaurant, was passionate about food and cars, and was close to both his birth and chosen families. Ashley Burton, age 37, died April 11th, 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia. Ashley was shot outside her apartment building after running outside crying for help from neighbors. Ashley was a hairstylist and makeup artist with strong family and community connections, whose neighbors described her as a sweetheart who cared about others. Rashida Williams, or Coco Dadal, age 35, died April 19th, 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia. Rashida was shot. 
She was one of four subjects of the D. Smith documentary Kokomo City, was a sex worker and advocate and a rapper who had released two singles. She is remembered as a loving heart. Banco Paso Brown, age 24, died April 27th, 2023 in San Francisco, California. Banco was shot and killed by an armed security guard at Walgreens in San Francisco. He had been involved with the nonprofit Young Women's Freedom Center since he was 12, working as an intern and community organizer. Although Banco has struggled with housing security for most of his life, he had stable housing and a job he enjoyed when he died. His loved ones described him as funny and bold. Ome Gandhi, age 16, died May 16th, 2023 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ome was murdered by her father, who then took his own life. Ome's mother reports that they fought the system for years to protect their child from an abusive parent and continued that fight. Ome was a talented musician who taught herself multiple instruments, who loved sports and the outdoors. Nova Dunn, age 14, died May 17, 2023 in Manchester, New Hampshire. Nova died by suicide after leaving his school. Multiple sources allege that bullying and transphobia factored into his death. Nova is remembered for being loving and kind and newly on his transition journey. Ashia Davis, age 34, died June 3, 2023 in Highland Park, Michigan. Ashia's body was found in a hotel where she was staying while traveling with a childhood friend. At first, her pet Yorkie was also missing, but the dog has been found alive and unhurt and is being cared for by Ashia's family. Ashia had recently finished nursing school and was preparing to start a new job. Chanel Perez Ortiz or Uvita, age 29, died June 25th, 2023 in Carolina, Puerto Rico. Chanel's body was found on the PR 190 highway. Chanel worked as a makeup artist and cosmetologist and had a strong interest in fashion and continuing her education. Michelle Dion Peacock, age 59, died June 30th, 2023 in Richmond, Indiana. Michelle was a cisgender woman and was killed by a neighbor who believed she was trans. She leaves behind her children and grandchildren who report that she had moved to Richmond three years previously after surviving cancer. Jacob Williamson, age 18, died June 30th, 2023 in Pageland, South Carolina. Jacob was killed by a man he met online. Although law enforcement have described the suspect as an online predator, they have declined to label the killing a hate crime. Colin Smith, age 32, died July 2nd, 2023 in Portland, Oregon. Colin was a cisgendered man who was killed while defending a trans friend from a verbal attack. Colin is remembered as a good and kind friend and a fierce ally with a former partner describing him as a protector. Ferniel Mary Mora, age 26, died July 6, 2023 in New York City. Ferniel was found in suspicious circumstances in her apartment in the Bronx. She is remembered for being a, loving, a loyal friend and sibling, and her family says they are struggle, struggling to accept Ferniel's death just as she was finally embracing her true identity. Camden Ryder, age 21, died July 21st, 2023 in Winter Haven, Florida. Camden was shot by his partner in front of witnesses while Camden was eight months pregnant. Although he was rushed to the hospital, neither Camden nor his infant could be saved. And reports of his death were complicated by Florida's anti-trans laws. Camden is remembered for being loving, smart, and capable, and had posted only days earlier about how excited he was to welcome his first child. Michael Ray, age unknown, died July 21st, 2023 in Virginia. Mikkel identified as non-binary and gender non-conforming. They were living with friends due to an unsupportive family at the time of their death by suicide. They are remembered for their humor and kindness. Louise 
Angel Diaz Castro, age 22, died August 12, 2023 in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Luis was found in his apartment under suspicious circumstances. A former partner whom Luis had denounced as abusive has been detained. His mother described him as a loving and caring soul. Thomas Robertson, or Tom Tom, age 28, died August 17, 2023, in Calumet City, Indiana. Thomas, who is gender non-conforming, was the victim of a shooting. It is unclear what pronouns Thomas was using at the time of their death. Thomas was a talented photographer whose loved ones described them as a source of smiles and laughter. Briasia Banks, age unknown, died September 5th, 2023 in Arizona. Briasia was murdered in what police believe was intimate partner violence. Briasia identified as non-binary and used she, her pronouns. She loved to dance, spend time with her siblings and cousins, and was active on social media where she was journaling her transition. Alexa Alex Andrevna Sakova, age 34, died September 8th, 2023 in Palm Bay, Florida. Alexa's body was found in an undeveloped area of Palm Bay. Her car was later found in another state whose occupants confessed to her murder. Sherilyn Marjorie, age 35, died September 26, 2023 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Sherilyn was killed by a man she was involved with who says he feared she would reveal their relationship. Sherilyn was a popular drag performer, splitting her time between Tijuana and Albuquerque, whose friends remember her as a vibrant performer and kind soul. China Long, age 30, died October 8, 2023 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. China was shot. According to her aunt, her family has had been harassed for years over her trans identity and her killing may have been a hate crime. China was a dance choreographer and advocate for trans rights. Dominic Dupree or Dominic Palace, age 25, died October 13, 2023 in Chicago, Illinois. Dominic's body was found with gunshot wounds inside a vehicle. Dominic was gender non-conforming and owned their own business. They are remembered as loving sports, their family, and performing. Anae Robertson, age 30, died October 14, 2023 in Washington, DC. Anae was accidentally run over while fleeing from an attacker. After she died, the hospital concluded she died from blunt force trauma and her death was ruled a homicide. Lisa Love Thurman, age 35, died October 17, 2023, in Chicago, Illinois. Lisa was shot while walking home by a driver who passed her, then reversed. Her family believes she was targeted because she was trans. Her family describes her as compassionate and loving. London Price, age 26, died October 23, 2023, in Miami-Dade, Florida. London was shot in her home in front of her grandmother. Video surveillance shows her flee killer fleeing the scene with a gun. She had recently completed her legal transition and was looking forward to traveling, but despite her legal transition, Florida law required media to deadname and misgender her.
just wrapped up our annual fall membership drive. Support from listeners like you helped us reach our goal, gain new members, and prepared us to bring you more organic, homegrown, fresh off the vine community radio. Thanks to all those who donated during this drive, and thanks to those who listened in. Stay tuned for more. I'm all in the ground, I'd root that mountain down, and I wish I was a mole in the ground. Tune in to KBOO Monday mornings at 9.